two stories of the day today. First, the ongoing saga of dealing with short-term rental sites like Airbnb and Verbo. They've been gobbling up housing that used to be regular rentals for locals, causing a real crisis. Plattsburgh is the latest place to roll out some new rules. And second, I can't wait to tell you about a new podcast we're launching in a couple weeks. It's about far-right extremist groups and militias operating here in the North Country. We've been working on it for months, and we're going to give you a preview today. Those are today's stories of the day. Support for Story of the Day comes from Claxton Hepburn Medical Center, dedicated to providing patient care and regional services to the people of St. Lawrence County. ClaxtonHepburn.org. Hey, I'm David Summerstein. It's Thursday, January 4th. First up, New York forest rangers rescued a hiker who fell several hundred feet off a mountain in Essex County late last month. The day after Christmas, a 46-year-old woman from South Glens Falls slipped off the summit of South Dix Mountain. She fell several hundred feet down steep snow and a rock slide before grabbing a small spruce tree. That prevented her from going over a cliff face. The hiker contacted rangers for help at around 5.30 in the evening. Ranger Jameson Martin says she had an emergency blanket with her and was told to keep warm until rangers got there. She was terrified to go up, down, left, or right. Uh, So she basically was in place. And she said she basically just kind of wiggled there, standing on that rock, uh, using all her energy just to stay as warm as she could. I mean, even then, she's cold. The conditions were treacherous, with pouring rain, soaking wet spruce tree cover, deep snow, slippery ice. Martin says recent rains had washed out the trails, leaving rotten snow behind. It's brutal uh, to have low 30s. It's basically what we call hypothermia weather, you know, wet, cold, just the mix of those things. It's a bad combo. The rangers did reach the hiker at 1.30 in the middle of the night. They gave her warm liquids, food, and dry clothing and guided her back to the trail. They all made it back to the trailhead after hiking for five hours. Story one. North Country towns have been grappling with what to do about short-term rentals, whether to ban or allow them, how to balance local housing needs with potential revenue from tourists. That saga has been playing out in Plattsburgh over the last year, and it's culminated in a new law that requires STR owners to register their properties. Kara Chapman has details. Over the last year, city residents who do and do not support short-term rentals listed on websites like Airbnb and Verbo have spoken out at council meetings. Opponents have called for a complete ban on STRs in residential areas. They've voiced concerns over safety, traffic, parking, noise, and, at a bigger level, housing. Matt Tulaski of Ridgewood Drive spoke at a public hearing in December. He says an Airbnb on his street means one less residential home and a reduction to the city's housing supply. All right, it's disrupted the quality of life on my street. And if you multiply that times the many Airbnbs that will come down the road in the future, the facts speak for themselves. Airbnbs reduce residential life and residential housing in Plattsburgh. Supporters say it's not true that STRs don't benefit the city. They say the rentals contribute to tax and tourism revenue and that they aren't the root cause of the city's housing shortage. Jessica Murnane co-owns the Airbnb Tulaski was talking about. Here she is at a public meeting in September. 
To say that there's no benefit to our community by occupying a comfortable housing environment is what I could describe as my personal favorite, transient. It's not only outlandish, but it's just a lot. A couple of city councilors have said they'd support a ban on STRs, but Mayor Chris Rosenquist pushed for what he called a more balanced approach to both address the residents' concerns and benefit the city. In early December, he introduced a law to create a short-term rental registry. It requires those who operate the rentals to obtain annual permits starting March 1st. The law also includes certain space, safety, and parking standards for the rentals and makes them subject to inspections by the city. During a meeting last month, War 3 Councilor Elizabeth Gibbs expressed concerns over how the new registry would be enforced, how the code enforcement officer would know an STR is in operation, what to do if a property owner fails to allow an inspection or pay a fee. It's not that I, I don't support the, the uh, idea of a rental, short-term rental registry, but I'm concerned that it doesn't really have the enforcement that we want it to, and if it becomes a law that's difficult to enforce, um, I, I don't know if, I don't know if I could support it, I guess. Rosenquist says concerns over enforcing the short-term rental registry are no different than what the city already deals with when it has to enforce codes for other types of rental properties. Um, that's not a hurdle, nor should it be a hurdle, uh, to put something in place, which there's nothing in place right now. So the alternative is do nothing or do a little bit of something and start to chip away at, uh, at a regular solution that makes sense for everybody. The law creating the STR registry ultimately passed four votes to two. The no votes were Gibbs and Ward 1 Councilor Julie Bond, who'd previously expressed support for a ban. The council also passed a law creating a vacant building registry. That'll require owners to register buildings when they become vacant. They'll also have to submit plans to secure, demolish, or rehabilitate them. Like the STR registry, it goes into effect March 1st. Kara Chapman, North Country Public Radio, Plattsburgh City Hall. Now, story two. We've been working for months on an investigative podcast that tries to get to the bottom of far-right anti-government activity here in our region and the threat it poses to democracy. The podcast is called If All Else Fails. Right now, I'm so psyched to give you a sneak preview. You ready? Let's roll the tape. Yes, hello. Uh, I'll leave a message for Zach Hirsch. This is Sheriff Mike Carpinelli in Lewis County. I got your message in the... I was trying to reach Mike Carpinelli last year. He's a sheriff from upstate New York. We were working on a story about him. We'd emailed, and Carpinelli called us back the same day. And uh, we'll talk, and then I'll decide uh, uh, what we can do. Appreciate you reaching out to me. Thank you. Take care, Zach. Bye-bye. But that was the only time we'd ever hear from the sheriff. Carpinelli first grabbed our attention when he posted a photo of himself a year and a half ago. In that photo, he's holding up an award from the Oath Keepers, and he looks proud of it. The Oath Keepers are a far-right militia group. They played a key role in the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. By the time Carpinelli posted that photo, the founder of the Oath Keepers had been arrested and charged with seditious conspiracy. Didn't seem like a great time for anyone to point out their ties to the Oath Keepers, let alone a county sheriff elected to uphold the law. But that photo got hundreds of comments, more than a thousand likes. All this got us thinking, what kind of ties do law enforcement have to far-right groups like the Oath Keepers? And who are all these people who like that connection? I'm Emily Russell. And I'm Zach Hirsch. That one photo of the sheriff and his Oath Keepers award kicked off a much broader investigation, one we've spent months working on. Far-right groups like the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys have ties to rural areas around the country. 
We looked at one place here in upstate New York, and we found that all kinds of extremist groups have tried to recruit people here, from the infamous KKK to lesser-known groups like Patriot Front. We also found that there's a real anti-government movement in upstate New York, a movement that's inspired people to join militias. Get involved with your militias. I assure you, they will be needed if this tyranny continues. We take the military guys and the former police officers, and we're not just some ragtag bunch of guys out there that don't know what we're doing. This is the kind of stuff that really worries experts and top security officials. There is not a county in the state that doesn't have a challenge with extremism. So this stuff is happening on a regular basis. You take somebody who might have a kind of suspicion of government. You say to them, like, hey, come join our group that has a solution for you, right? And some of those solutions are pretty violent. We wanted to know what's at stake when people join far-right groups or when they buy into conspiracy theories about the government or elections. Being in January 6th, there's a lot of people like me that we know the election was stolen. And what happens when people see themselves as the last line of defense against tyranny? The role of what I believe militia is today is to prepare for dark times. At some point, the system will fall. I believe in defending our country. If all else fails, if all else fails, then we know what we have to do. If All Else Fails, an investigative podcast from North Country Public Radio. You can listen to all the episodes starting on January 15th. That's our new podcast called If All Else Fails. All episodes will be out on January 15th. You can subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, and while you're there, you might as well subscribe to the Story of the Day podcast as well, if you haven't already. Just saying. Music today by Danny Thomas of Canton and Oscar Sarmiento of Potsdam. I'm David Summerstein, North Country Public Radio.